Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Two Black Guys with Good Credit, the show for the financially curious and the financially knowledgeable. Big Sean, I got a question for you today. Were you free at 33? Come on, Matt. Why are you asking me this question? Where are you going with this? I've been free for a long time, Matty Matt. <laughs> I didn't need the slave voice, but anyway, <laughs> I just wanted to know. I mean, I think it's rare to find someone, even as talented as you are at business, to be financially free that young and ready to retire. But, but Sean, why don't you just share with the listeners? Who do we have today joining us? Okay, Matt. You, you guys always like to push the limits, find somebody that's doing it big and I have to give the guest we have today, yeah, he's definitely doing it big. He's a man. And, you know, he's Canadian as well. His name is Cornell Schreiber. And at 32 years old, he was living the life that many dream of. That's awesome. Well, Dion, why don't you give us a little background on Mr. Cornell Schreiber? My absolute pleasure. Mr. Schreiber is the host of the Build Wealth Canada show, one of the top personal finance podcast uh, in Canada. Uh, the journey of Cornell and his wife, Andrea, uh, becoming free in their, uh, actually mortgage free in their 20s and financially independent by their early 30s is an incredible, incredible story. So can't wait to dig in. Well, let's welcome him. Cornell, you have such an interesting story. Well, first off, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Let's go back to the beginning. Where did this mission come from for you to retire young, pay off your mortgage? Give us a little bit history and a breakdown of that. Sure. So, yeah, in the very beginning, I, I didn't even know that you could retire early. So that definitely wasn't the goal from the very beginning. And so really at the very front, at the very beginning, it was really just about paying off the mortgage. So I saw how much money was leaving our bank account every single month. And I remember think, talking to my wife saying, hey, what if we didn't have that? What if we just lived off one income instead of two and basically used that one entire income to pay off our mortgage quicker? And so that's really how this whole thing started. And she agreed right away? Um, yeah. I, I don't remember there being any sort of argument. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I call a unicorn. 
<laughs> that's what I call a united front. That's, that's a beautiful thing. I believe you did this when you were still. Were you still just? Are you had you just graduated, or were you still in school when you were doing this? Oh no, this was after graduating. Yeah, just so after we, graduation. That's right. But you're in your twenties. But you're still in your twenties. Correct. Right? So just to put things into perspective, right? So the Royal Bank of Canada, uh, when they did a survey, right, they found only 38% of millennials are actually saving for retirement despite um, 46% indicating it's not even, it's a, it's a top financial you know, goal of theirs, right? Um, there's another stat that says 90% of ca- Canadians don't have a retirement plan. That takes into account you know, whatever desired you know, post-retirement lifestyle they want to have. And that was according to the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. So the, the fact that you were such, um, even though you, it, it was, there wasn't a, a deliberate intention um, in the beginning, it's amazing that um, at such a young age, you were able to actually... Um, accomplish this and you became yeah, I mean, somewhat of a credit rock star right you were kind of a celebrity you were in magazines people were talking about you right people were seeing you down the street and asking your credit score were you like that's <laughs> sign my credit report <laughs> <laughs> were you not somewhat of a celebrity uh, uh well in the beginning i mean not so much i mean in, in the financial circles it was the magazines that did write about all this stuff they did take interest so like there's two major magazines in canada and so both of them had me featured and you know they took pictures of us and and you know that kind of that whole thing so um so i guess in that circle of people yes but i mean <laughs> it's not like i'm walking down the street and people are asking me to sign their credit report. it's not it's not that glamorous <laughs> you're such a humble canadian i gotta i love it was there was there a financial mentor in your 20s or your teens that got you kind of even thinking along this path that early or or, or what what kind of sparked that that mindset Really, it was from books. Uh, I just had an interest in it. Like I remember even in uh, in high school, you know, when you had like reading time and you could read whatever book you want and everyone's reading, you know, the fiction books and things like that. I was reading about how to uh, trade stocks at the time. Wow. So so I was so I didn't really have a mentor. At what age were you? did you start reading this? Um, so this would have been oh, maybe what, six, 16, maybe 16. Yeah, let, let's say let's call it 16 around there. Got it. Yeah. So my, so the mentors were really the books, right? I mean, someone like that, I mean, as a high school kid, you don't really have that kind of connections or anything like that. And so I just, you know, read what I could get my hands on, whatever I thought was interesting. And I just try to learn from people. And for some strange reason, I'm wired in such a way where I found that interesting and not boring, where like a lot of people, you know, wouldn't be interested in, in learning that at such a young age. So that definitely helped out. Good, good deeper into your education. Let everybody know, where did you go to school? What did you study? And so forth. Sure. So I went to Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo. Uh, I studied business administration. I was in their business administration co-op program. Um, so uh, yeah, that was uh, that was it. But I mean, I I I like this thing that it helped in you know getting us to where we are today. But I mean, a lot of the education it's more on the corporate side and how to be a manager not so much you know how to manage your investments and how to pay the lowest fees and how to save right they don't really you know schools don't really focus much on on that piece so sometimes i i'm reluctant to say oh you know i'm a business grad and and that's what helped because someone might say well i'm not a business grad so am i out of luck like what am i supposed to do and i would say no i'm a majority of things in this area were totally self-taught and now it's easier more than ever because now you've got blogs you've got podcasts like yours right there's there's so many books you can read about it there's the whole fire movement right so it, it's 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 really good now I mean, when i was starting off there was just a select few books that you know were really reputable that you could read like like the wealthy barber for example was one oh, of the yeah, yeah. the wealthy barber I remember yeah that. so, yeah that's what that was kind of my entryway into this whole world i would say 
And just well, so you, Matt, I know you don't know because, you know, limited Canadian uh, understanding. So Welfare Laurier is one of the top business schools in Canada, I would think, on par with what would be we'd consider, what you would consider, you know, the Ivies of schools. I know about about it. Is that how you guys say it? I was giving a little Canadian understanding for those. <laughs> I know you may be struggling. Thanks for that. But yeah. Cornell. Cornell, tell me a little bit about your podcast. Like, give the people who haven't listened. I know it's the biggest thing in Canada, from what I hear. But for for us Americans down here who may not be familiar, break it down. Tell us about your podcast, and maybe we'll, you know, get you a few listeners down south. Sure, sure. Yeah. So it's called the Build Wealth Canada podcast. And the whole reason I started it, I didn't even know it was going to become successful like it has. What really started it was that, like I said, we became mortgage free. And then I thought, well, that's great, but we're way behind on our retirement savings because we've been pumping money into the mortgage, you know, all these years, but we had nothing really saved for, you know, our investments in terms of retirement, right? And so I thought, well, what if I interviewed some of the top experts I can find in Canada and the U.S., learn the best practices of how to actually invest, how to do it properly, (laughs) right? And then I can apply it. And that way, even if the podcast completely fails and no one wants to listen to me, I can, I'll still be able to apply those lessons myself and still benefit, but it turns out that the podcast did do very well. And, and yeah, like now it's one of the top ones in Canada for sure. So, well, so you, that? you, you uh, said something that's very interesting. It reminds me of myself. You said you were way <laughs> behind. What's the front? What's so funny? Always <laughs> to reminds you of myself. Anyway, go ahead. Proceed. So. <laughs> you said you were way behind on your retirement. Now, how old are you when you're saying this to yourself in your head? <laughs> uh, so this was 29 <laughs> and that's what i love because you know my <laughs> mindset is of the same too we always feel we're behind when it's catch up we have to go harder work harder achieve more get stronger numbers that's the motivation i'm sure in retrospect i don't think you were probably far behind at 29 and there wasn't much of a catch-up needed to do but in your mind you felt you needed to catch up you needed to go hard and you needed to figure out something another angle to kind of uh, better your financial skills correct that's right. Yeah. Cause I mean, the way I looked at it, which maybe it was the wrong way of looking at it, but I mean, it worked, it helped in the end was I, I said, well, okay, we've got the house paid off, but like in you guys, you have the Roth and you have the 401k in Canada, we've got RSP and TFSA. Those are our, I guess, equivalents of, or close to equivalents of what you guys have. So I, I would just look at those accounts and say, well, they're pretty much empty because I've been pumping everything into the mortgage. Right. So it was, I guess, a negative look at it. It was like a glasses half empty kind of look where great that the house is paid off, but what am I going to, you know, how am I going to put food on the table in retirement? I can't eat the house. And so that's what caused that urgency. Did your wife share that view or uh, that urgency? <laughs> Me, not, not so much, I, I guess, on the saving for retirement side. I, I was more into it than she was. But the thing is, at that point, we were so used to just living off one income and saving the rest that it wasn't a stretch to say, it wasn't a difficult conversation to say, hey, honey, let's just keep doing what we're doing so that we have enough for retirement. I love the fact that you guys are a team, you know? And you had mentioned um, bloggers, you know, talking about early retirement, that kind of thing. And I'm not sure if you've heard of Talat and Ty McNeely. They're the uh, money coaching couple uh, behind uh, the His or Her Money blog. Oh, yes, I've heard of that one. Yeah, so uh, I think it was great to hear that you guys were having, it looks like these conversations pretty early in your relationship because they say the biggest uh, challenge that couples really face when it comes to finances is usually a breakdown in communication, you know, whether that's communicating with each other or what the reality is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So that, I think that's probably been a, that was probably a winning formula for you. 
it, it was. And yeah, I, I know one thing that we did that I know really helped uh, get, help us to pay off the mortgage quickly and, you know, get financial independent early is, you know, when we set that concrete goal of, okay, let's go for a 50% savings rate. So just using one of our salaries, I would monitor our finances. And once a week, if let's say we were off by that, then we would have like a little family meeting and say, hey, why why were we not able to live off the 50% this past week or this past month? And you know what? Most of the time it was, it was something that was totally justified. It was like, well, we had a major car repair or we had a major unforeseen house expense that, you know, we had to spend money on. So that's why we right. couldn't save that much. But it held us accountable so that if let's say all of a sudden our going out to eat budget went up 30% because we're all of a sudden, you know, just, you know, cause these things can creep up on you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, then that way we're able to basically nip it in the butt right away and say, okay, clearly we're, you know, we, we made a mistake. We're not meeting our goals anymore. Let's correct course. Right. And so we had this basically feedback loop to correct mm-hmm. course whenever we started to stray from it. And it goes in line with what you're saying about the communication piece. Amazing. So you hold I up, hold up, stop, stop, stop. This is from my own personal uh, knowledge. Is this unicorn? Are you guys around the same age, or see somebody a little wiser <laughs> and older? Like, how did you meet? How did you guys connect? How did you align? Like, I, I, I'm just like, this seems like a fairy tale, like Cinderella. Like, you sat down, you, you guys had this of plan, the financial said, world, <laughs> just, of the financial world. So, just give us a little background. Sean, do you, does Sean need some love advice? Is that what I'm? Doing? <laughs> I, I, know I think I'm gonna two black guys with good credit is gonna be two one black guy looking for looking for love, man. How did you do it? <laughs> so, how, how do I do your uh, dating yeah, profile or whatever? Uh, yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> I'm trying to see how you guys aligned yourself. Like we just sat down, we had a meeting. Honey, you don't eat this anymore. Fine, baby, I won't eat that anymore. Honey, let's cut down on shopping. Fine, honey, I'll cut down on shopping. How did you guys get it? I I think really what it was is we agreed on the overarching goal. So we agreed that, okay, it would be nice to have our mortgage paid off early. We agreed that saving half our income in our situation was possible. And, you know, so once we agreed on that sort of high level 30,000 foot view goal, then the smaller conversations weren't really an issue, right? Because we knew that this is all funneling up to that main goal. And so that's what I think made it really work. So it wasn't like I'm hounding her about some expense all the time. And she's wondering why is he hounding me about this when we have this money, you know, in our account that we could clearly spend instead it's, Hey, you know, we said we were going to go for this goal. And now we're straying from it. Maybe we should correct course. What do you think? And then we said, well, yeah, we still agree with our initial goal. So let's do it. So it it was more in that kind of a way. Wow. So it was really about the uh, what you were committed to, the overall That's right. commitment, right? Yeah, we both committed to it. And then once it became a habit, it became a lot easier too, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're used to spending all of your money with every paycheck, that can be a hard habit to break, right? But in our right. case, I guess maybe an advantage looking back, maybe, you know, because we started so early, we were straight out of university. We were just forming these habits of living on our own and spending money. So maybe because we said that habit, we just created this habit early on that it became, it wasn't so painful, right? Whereas like, I mean, imagine you get a few promotions, you're both earning lots of money. You're used to spending all your money, every paycheck. And now all of a sudden it's like, Hey, let's only live off one income. I mean, that's a much tougher pill pill to swallow. I think. Yeah. That would be a shock to the system. Yeah. Well, I actually have a few, um, uh, recommended questions that came from the same um, uh, uh, blogger team, Talat and Ty McNeely. They said three conversations every couple should have, um, or at least even when you're just getting to know each other. Uh, Number one is, this is what my money looks like conversation. So really just bearing it all up front. Um, 
the what are our money goals conversation, right? So what you were talking about, what are the yes. overarching goals? Are we on the same page? Uh, and number three is how are we going to combine our finances conversation? You, you know, need to get a, 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 Tinder, a Tinder sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> that can save a marriage, right? We know that's probably the number, what are the number one reasons for divorce, right? So when you guys can get on, a, on the same financial page, it's, it's huge. And what I want people to understand also, our listeners, is that, you know, all jokes aside, I don't think Cornell, like people think that budgeting and what you're doing is synonymous with being cheap. I don't think you were cheap in any way. I don't, from what I'm hearing too, and from what I've read and seen and listened to you, I don't think you've had to alter your lifestyle where you can look back and say, we missed so many great things because we were just hoarding our money trying to pay off our mortgage. I think you guys had a, a, a balance, correct? Yes, I would say we had a balance. I mean, definitely we could have spent more, but I think at the end of the day, it's what do you value more, right? Do you value being mortgage-free quicker or are you willing to have that debt for an extra couple of years, but maybe, I don't know, buy fancier shoes or I don't know, whatever, <laughs> whatever gives you your, you know, what you think will make you happier, right? And I think mm -hmm. in our case, it was just, you know, this is, you know, and this happens all the time, right? It's like, do you want to go and buy at least a $40,000 car or do you want to go buy a used $10,000 car, right? And I mean, you could do both. But so, you know, one's going to set you back financially more than the other. So what, you know, that, that's the kind of the trade-off, right? What's your priority? What do you value more? What do you think will make you happier long-term? And I guess in our case, we were fortunate that both of us felt that, you know what, forget the fancy car, forget the most expensive house we can afford. Let's get something, you know, less than that and set ourselves up properly financially instead so that we can be ahead. Cornell, along with, you know, you, 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 you and your wife, you have a two family income. Was there any side hustling going on? Did you have other streams of income? And what was your job or your career? Sure. Yeah. So there, there was side hustling that I started eventually. And that that definitely helped because at one point we it was actually in rock climbing of all things. It wasn't even in personal finance. It was just yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just a, a hobby, a passion that I had. And yeah, it basically started a side business related to rock climbing that was earning enough for, you know, to pay if we want to go to a restaurant once a week or whatever, to go out, have like a nice dinner or whatever, that was enough to pay for that. So it made it so that our day jobs, the money those were generating could be funneled into those, uh, you know, more essential expenses and into paying off our mortgage and investing. And our sort of fun money was, well, hey, if I'm doing good at the side hustle, then we get to go out to eat more and it's guilt free right. spending, right? Because it's just, that's, that's the cherry on top. If the business isn't going well, because I've been watching TV too much. Okay, well then we're we have less discretionary <laughs> spending money, right? And so that I, I do recommend. And now that we're in, you know, now that we've kind of hit that financial independence number, and I've tried the whole like full retirement versus semi-retirement, all that thing. You need something to keep you busy, keep your mind engaged. You know, some creative outlet. And so you might as well find something now, even if you're not retired yet, because you're gonna need something when you're retired. I've I've learned this just from personal experience and also by following others who have done it. And, uh, and so, your your day job though, in your twenties though. Was it the financial planning or was there some other day job that was? That oh, no, were... it wasn't financial planning. It wasn't even in this industry. So in the beginning, I was a category analyst. So I would it was kind of like a consulting type work that you, you could call it. Uh, so in my case, I focused on Walmart. So I would do sort of consulting on how they could essentially make more money. Uh, I, I was a category analyst is what it was called. So um, that's what I did. And then eventually switched jobs. And I basically uh, co-ran a software, a small software company. Um, so basically, it was always in like analysis 
office, um, marketing, general management, that kind of a thing. Well, just one off topic question for you. I know, right, this is two black guys with good credit, and this is actually three Canadians and one American. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I'm not familiar with Kitchener. And, and so can you tell for, for the American listeners out there, I, I, you said a little before we went on air about kind of the, what, what Kitchener is known for in Silicon like basically break down, you know, you're straight out of Kitchener. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. Kitchener is about an hour and a half away from Toronto and it's essentially known as sort of the, the tech capital of, of Canada. So you guys have your Silicon Valley. We are essentially the Canadian version uh, the, the, you know, this is our Silicon Valley essentially, um, but you know, Canadianized. <laughs> uh, so that's it. essentially what it is. So big tech community here, big startup community, that kind of thing. Okay, well, cool. So we're going to take a quick break. So everybody stay tuned for more Two Black Guys with Good Credit. We're learning about freedom at 32 with our guest Cornell Schreiber. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Two Black Guys with Good Credit, the show for the financially curious and the financially knowledgeable. Today's show is all about freedom at 32. I actually prefer freedom free at 33 because of the rhyme, but it's freedom at 32 with our guest, Cornell Schreiber. Uh, Dion, you had some some information for us. Tell us a little bit about the FIRE movement. Sure, because Cornell did touch on it earlier. So just to kind of expand on it for our, our listeners, the FIRE movement, it's actually short for financial independence, retire early. So this has been burning up the internet. You've got hundreds, if not thousands of these uh, bloggers, particularly anonymous bloggers who uh, don't re- want to reveal their identity because they haven't reached that that goal yet. But they're all looking to basically leave their nine to fives and retire early, you know. And here we have a man who's doing it. Cornell in the building. A lot of people want to have what you have, Cornell, and, and want to be able to retire early, but are unable, mostly because they probably don't have the right mindset and discipline. But what are you, what are the secrets to your success? What are the secrets to early retirement? Sure. So there's really two components, right? There's the the spending side, and then there's the the income side, right? So the income side we already touched on a bit. Uh, you know, we talked about side hustles that definitely helped us, especially you know to just have some more discretionary spending. The university graduation, like I was in a co-op program, which helped immensely. It made getting a job much 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 easier than a typical you know graduate who only has a degree but no actual work experience. So there's definitely that. Um, There's also maximizing the return that your investments generate by minimizing the fees as much as possible. So that's a whole nother topic all on its own, but basically lowering the MER as much as possible, making things as tax efficient. So when you are riding the wave of the markets, when they are doing well, that, you know, you're not, you're paying as little as possible, you know, to tax and you're paying as little fees as possible. So there's that piece. And then the other, of course, is the spending side, right? And I mean, this is just, there is no really, you know, magic bullet there. It's, it's more if you want to retire earlier, be financially independent earlier and not be reliant on a nine to five job, I mean, you just have to, you know, make, you know, certain sacrifices, right? So we talked about the $40,000 car versus the $10,000 car. Right. We're talking about getting the highest, you know, the biggest house that the bank will let you get versus not getting that and getting something much, much smaller so that you've got the positive cash flow at the end of every month to either invest or pay down the mortgage quicker, right? So there, there is that whole piece. Uh, and I think, yeah, I mean, on the spending side, the, the big things I tell people to focus 
focus on is the the transportation piece and the housing because I find those tend to have enormous impacts on your month to month cash flow. And it's sad, you know, sometimes when I talk to people and they're struggling and they say, how can you possibly do this? I have no money left over at the end of the month. But then I start talking to them and you learn that, yeah, they have, you know, they have that $40,000 car. Yes, they have, and they have that house that, you know, they really shouldn't be living in, but the bank let them have it anyway. Um, You know, and and all their money is going towards those interest payments, right? On that vehicle and on that house, right? So, you know, I'm simplifying things a bit here, but I mean, I find if, you know, if you're, if you're trying to get the things that are going to give you sort of the biggest bang for your buck in terms of your efforts, you know, those are the things I would focus on from the spending side. And what about the paying off of the mortgage? And I know like there's a two sides to that coin. And I know, Sean, you've often talked about paying off mortgages, like like what the, the advantages of paying it off or the disadvantages of paying it off. Talk about that part of it. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, in the beginning, I didn't know any better about how the markets perform versus you know, basically investing the savings in the markets for, through index investing versus paying off the mortgage. And so we just did the mortgage thing sort of by, by default. You know, we saw the 2008 financial crisis hit things pretty hard. You know, I saw my my director, you know, saying how he lost like a hundred grand. And, you know, you see things like that and people getting laid off and it, and you know, it, it kind of scares you, right? So we just did the mortgage thing. But, you know, in, in retrospect, I would have done, you know, look, if I was to do it all over again, I would have actually invested that money instead uh, just through, you know, broad market index investing, just buying ETFs as opposed to paying off the mortgage, just because historically the returns have been much higher when doing things that way. And so if I did do that, our net worth actually would have been much higher, you know, than it is today if we didn't just focus on paying off the debt. Got it. Now you touched on um, your bit of what you like to incorporate in your portfolio. Um, I was able to pull up uh, um, that your portfolio was 100% in equities. So, um, and I understand it's a third in Canadian equities, a third in U.S., and then third international is how you've kind of set it up. Sure. So the when we were in our asset accumulation phase, so before we hit that financial independence number, that's what it was. Is it was 100% in equities. We had a bit of you know a cash cushion in case we had some sort of emergency, you know, so that I would never have to sell off equities because we had a roof leak or something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, getting getting to that point in the asset accumulation phase, so before we hit that five number, yeah, we were 100% equities. I was doing the third third, a third for almost the entire time. Eventually I did pivot a bit more to put a bit more in the U.S. index and a bit mm-hmm. less in Canada, uh, just because of how, well, basically U.S. has a lot more diverse economy than Canada. Canada is very concentrated in certain industries. It's flawed in a few different ways. And so that was one of the sort of judgments that I made later, but it wasn't you know like a crazy drastic change or anything like that. It was just a bit of a tweak, but essentially, yeah, you're, you're right. And then once we hit our financial independence number and we were no longer dual income family, both working full time, I th- I put a bit more towards the fixed income portion because, you know, we want to be able to ride out the storms like we're going through right now with COVID. I don't want to have to sell equities at these low prices because we need to put groceries on the table, right? So I did transition to a little bit more fixed income, but I'm still, you know, over 90% in equities. You also downsized your life and sold a lot of your investment properties. Can you explain the reasoning behind that? Yeah. So, I mean, eventually the, yeah, so we, we had a rental property as well. Uh, once we had a primary residence, we had the rental and those were going up great. Like we talked about already, Kitchener Waterloo is a hotspot, you know, for tech and tech companies and all that. And I mean, the real estate market was just getting really heated. I mean, people were, there was bidding wars, con Constantly, it was you know houses are going over asking repeatedly. People are removing conditions that are normally you know normally you put a condition for financing, condition for home inspection. People were removing those. It was just a frenzy, and I thought, okay, how long can this thing really go on for, right? It, it that it, this does not seem sustainable.
sustainable at all. You know, you guys, you know, experienced that in the US, right? When you guys had the 2008 financial crisis, things mm-hmm. like that. And I thought, okay, you know what? Things, the sun is shining, things are good. Let's take some money off the table. And so I did decide to sell the rental property. So we basically had some good capital gains on that. I ended up basically taking all of that and putting all of that into, you know, index investing, into index ETFs. Um, yeah. And then when we did hit the financial independence number, one of the ways we were able to do that was to downsize our home. So we were able to, once again, cash in on these crazy prices that were going up constantly. We were able to take some of that money, put it into ETFs and instead, you know, have a smaller house. But now, you know, we are able to, we don't have to work full time anymore. So that was like the other trade-off that we made, right? Is, you know, smaller house. And then the rental property thing, that was just, I didn't want to be a a landlord anymore either. (laughs) That was the other thing. (laughs) So, I mean, our tenants were amazing, but I mean, it's, it's not passive at all. Like index investing is passive. Rental investing, you know, it's not right. Even with really good tenants, things break, furnaces break, things can get So let me just, let's, let's understand it. You know, I'm sitting here quiet, biting my tongue. You just want to do when a passive I, equals lazy investing. You don't want to, <laughs> that's what you're saying. Like, what issue do you have with those real estate guys? Like, nothing. I'm like, we've made, I, we, we've accumulated wealth in such kind of opposite ends of the way. Like, I have done well investing in real estate. I have leveraged, pulled equity out to grow and buy other businesses. But you have done. You've just said, you know, you're more market oriented. And you're less leveraging and carrying debt. You know, this is, we, we should at least the next one just battling back and forth because I always <laughs> I, I believe in managing and leveraging debt as long as you can afford the cost of that debt to grow your to grow your wealth. And I think the books that I've read on most millionaires, that's how they kind of accumulate wealth through real estate, through successful debt management. But you're like, screw that. I'm just going to invest, go for these these returns that I want to get, and I don't even want to go the debt route. Sean, you're absolutely right. But at the same time, they do say that the market has always outpaced real estate in the long term. So I, I see where you're coming from, and it is passive and not as hands-on. Yeah, and I have nothing against real estate investing. I mean, I, I did it. I tried it. We did it for, for years. We made money off it. So, I mean, I had a good experience with it from a financial side. But I just, you know, once I learned about index investing and once I started doing it, how passive it was really appealed to me because I didn't enjoy being a landlord. It was like, to me, I felt it was like a hassle. And I mean, yeah, we got compensated for it, but it's not something that I, I was passionate about. So my view on real estate is if you want to do it, if that's your your passion and you want to learn every, you want that to be your craft, then, then go do it. I mean, there's definitely money to be made and you can make a lot of money doing it just like you can doing many other things. Um, but if you're not really into it, if there's other things you don't want to focus your time on, well, then then don't get into it because it's not a passive investment, right? It, it really isn't. Whereas index investing is. So with index investing, I just do that and I can, you know, work on my podcast or go out with the kids or whatever the case may be. And I don't have to worry about the furnace breaking down in December anymore. Right. So it's a person. You make my life seem so horrible that you're so, I can't, I can't even argue with you. What kind of returns are are comfortable for you? What kind of returns are you look? are you, do you strive for when you're like, and and what are you getting in these times? And what have you kind of gotten in when, you know, non-corona times, the typical times? Sure. Yeah, I mean, so the way the way that I, whenever I model these things out, you know, in Excel, and I have different you know pieces of software that I use. I, Whoa, you use Excel? You still use it? Man, you're my kind of dude. You still use Excel? I thought you were. I thought you since 2001. Okay. I thought you were in Kitchener. I thought this was Silicon Valley. You're supposed to have some some high tech. Hey, let the brother speak. He's using Excel. Keep going, brother. Preach. Let me hear. I don't have a you know, AI machine learning thing that just does it all for me. <laughs> Alexa. I'm just kidding. That's right. <laughs> 
Yeah. So whenever I do the, you know, the models, the software, all of that, the number that I typically use is 8%. That's the sort of, you know, average return that I like to use. And that's, that's basically what I based all of the projections on. And I mean, you'll get people that look up the stats and say, well, hold on, the S&P 500 has done way more than that and, and all that. But, you know, it's, it's a somewhat, it's a bit more on the conservative side from what I do. Uh, and then I also make sure that I have a good sort of fixed income cushion as well. So that when we are going through things like COVID right now, that I'm not forced to liquidate anything. So I'm still, you know, collecting my dividends from those investments, from those equities, but I also have that cash cushion so I can write things out, you know, and let the markets recover. And fixed income, what kind of fixed income are you, are you involved in? Because me and Arthur we're having this debate of what fixed incomes you're actually doing. Yeah, yeah. So th that's a great question. And it's something that I've been debating and then kind of struggling with for a long time in the sense of when you go and you research this, everyone is saying fixed income, they're saying, well, bonds, get a you know, bond ETF, right? But when I look at, you know, here Canada specifically, Specifically, the interest you get on a high interest savings account, like a really good high interest savings account, is actually more than the interest you would get on like a bond ETF. And so that's interesting, right? Because if you get a high interest savings account, it is guaranteed and you know you, you get that rate no matter what, and you don't have to worry about any sort of capital losses and there's no interest rate risk. Whereas if you get a bond ETF, you know, if, if depending on where the interest rates move, you could actually lose money and, and go negative as well, right? Um, so because of those reasons, because that the bond ETFs have are actually generating a lower yield than what I can get on a high interest savings account and they're not guaranteed and there's the interest rate risk. Currently, my whole fixed income is actually in a high interest savings account. Wow, people would yeah. not understand. Wow. You just keep it simple. Yeah. You keep it simple. Yeah. So this isn't some like, oh, I, I do it that way because I don't know any better. It's, you know, I analyze this to death and I've been trying to persuade myself so hard repeatedly to buy, to, to use that money to buy a bond ETF instead, because that's the common knowledge when you talk to index investors and all of that. Right. And and so I'm trying, so I talk to all these experts and I do all this reading and I'm trying to persuade myself to do it because that's what like the popular wisdom is, but I can't justify it. Right. Because, okay, you're taking on interest rate risk and you're getting paid less. So why, why would I do that? Right. To me, and, you know, and, the, and the purpose of fixed income is the safety portion of your portfolio, not the growth. Right. So if I'm trying to maximize safety within my safety portion, why wouldn't I go, you know, why wouldn't I go for that safety route of a high interest savings account? So that's this, that's the and way the market high, is right now. Right. I might, it might change in the and future. And high interest savings, you're, get, you're getting what? Three percent, maybe two, three percent. Yeah. Well, right now we've had major rate drops. So right now it's it's two percent. Um, before that, it was like two point three. If you go with certain other like there was even one place that was offering like two point eight, you know, but now the. Canada has dropped their interest rate drastically. So now it's actually only 2%. And, you're, and your portfolio is still growing annually, right? You're not just using up the interest, the money that you've made. You're still able to, to grow your portfolio every year, right? You're, are you using up all, are you just keeping kind of the principal and, you, and, and living off the interest? Yeah. So, so the way that I, sort of the, the rules that I've set for myself with the way I do it now is I do, we do get the dividend and the interest payments so that, you know, when I was still in the accumulation phase, we would reinvest those. Now, because we're not in that accumulation phase anymore, now that's basically spending money, right? That those dividends, that interest, that's that's spending money. Um, and then from what I do from there depends on how the markets are performing. So before the whole coronavirus piece hit, we were having a really good year, right? We were having, I mean, the, the returns were incredible. And so when that was happening, I basically harvested some of those capital gains. So I was keeping my principal intact and I would just harvest the capital gains, basically take some money off the top and we could use that for, you know, for our spending money. When the markets are going, have gone down, like we are experiencing right now, 
that's where that fixed income cushion comes in. So I'm still taking in those dividends, but now I'm not harvesting capital gains because there's been a major decline. Instead, I'm using that cash cushion for anything extra that I need. In simple term, you were, as you were making money, you were not being greedy. So you were taking a little bit off the top, reinvesting in something a little more safer during the good times. So that when the hard times hit now, you're not that exposed, correct? That's right. Yeah. So when the market was hitting all time highs, that's when I was like, okay, well, the things are going greedy. great. I basically said, not, if, if there's gonna, ever going to be a time to top up our fixed income portion and make sure we have a really good cushion to ride out the next recession, now's the time to do it. And so that's what I did. And so I actually increased our fixed income portion quite a bit. And and then you know, a few months later, Corona hit. And so, I mean, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that I did that. And let me just take, put this in layman's terms so the listeners can understand, because what you're saying, not everybody can do. So what he's saying is that potentially, hypothetically, he's in this investment. He's buying stocks. He's buying well, it, it, stock funds, per se. And he's earning, like, say, 20%. But he says to himself, you know, I'm not greedy. Even though my friends are telling me how much money I'm making, I'm going to cut back and put it in something that's not even earning half of that return just yep. to be safe for some hypothetical moment that may hit that nobody says in good times is going to hit. And that's really a smart, savvy, cautious investor mm. because you're taking something that's really generating a lot of money to say, no, I'm going to shove it over here in case this rainy day comes that I don't even know when and if it'll ever come. Exactly. I mean, when and the thing is, we knew another correction was going to come, right? We knew it. We didn't know it was going to be Corona. We didn't know it was going to be some, you know, disease. But we knew, like, it's not like when 2008 happened, we're like, oh, everything's fixed now, you know, and it's we're never going to have a, a horrible incident like that ever again. That, that you know, that we can't. That would that would be naive to think that, right? So we knew the storm was coming. We just didn't know why it was going to happen. We didn't know when it was going to happen. But we knew it was going to happen, right? And so my logic was, yeah, the market is consistently hitting all-time highs. We're, you know, we're seeing double digit, like, you know, really strong double digit growth. Now is the time to harvest some of that. Right. And so that's what we did. Well, we, we talked a lot about ETFs and, and we talked about ETFs on our show in the past. But for any of our listeners who may not be familiar, Dion, can you give us a quick breakdown on ETFs? Sure. So an ETF is an exchange traded fund. So it's a basket of securities that trade on the exchange. Right. It's just like a stock. Um, the ETF share prices, they fluctuate all day. Um, as they are bought and sold. Um, so this is different from a mutual fund that only trades once a day after the market closes. So that's that's another major difference. Um, ETFs can contain all types of investments, including stocks, commodities, bonds, as uh, Cornell mentioned. So hopefully I broke it down enough there, Cornell. <laughs> yeah, Cornell, why, what drew you to ETFs and why, yeah. why do you have such an affinity for ETFs? Uh, sure. So I... Several things. One is the diversification piece. So by buying one ETF or just four ETFs, depending on which one you buy, you can be invested in thousands of companies all at once. And so it's an excellent investment tool, in my opinion, to let you get that really good diversification, right? Because I'm not going to go out and manually buy you know, a thousand companies, right? A thousand stocks. This way I can actually hold thousands of stocks by only buying even one ETF if I wanted to. Um, so that was, that is one thing. The other thing I really like about ETFs is the fees. They are incredibly low. And yeah, I mean, that I don't think I have to explain that. <laughs> Just it's, you can, it's extremely inexpensive to be able to get those high returns. And so that is very, very, um, yeah, it's very appealing. And then the other big thing is 
it's passive. So the types of there's active ETFs and passive ETFs. Actives are the ones where there are actually people that are trying to beat the market using these ETFs. That's not what I buy. Those tend to have the higher fees, so the higher MER. What I do is I just buy the index ETFs. So these are all just passive. It's like you're buying the index, like when you see S&P 500, for example, you know, on any business news channel, you're just buying the stocks that are part of that index, that are part of that S&P 500. So it's very passive. I, as much as I love personal finance and investing, I'm not. I don't want to read financial statements of companies and analyze them. I don't want to read the annual reports. You Some don't. people, I don't, I know, I know. It's like, it's like how could you? You're a money nerd and you don't want to yeah, learn. Yeah, it's not but for, Yeah, but for some reason, like I just, I don't enjoy it, right? And whereas other people do, right? Like Warren Buffett, that's what he does all day from what I hear, right? Is he just, re you know, he reads those things and some people love it and they do it. With index investing though, you don't have to do it because you're not trying to, pick the winners and avoid the losers. You're just buying everything, right? Um, and then the final point I'll say about you know index ETFs is that historically they have always recovered. So that is a huge thing for me. Why I basically have pretty you know my almost my entire net worth in ETFs in index ETFs is because through you know we, we had the World War, we had 9/11, we had you know we're having Corona right now. You know I have no doubt that it's going to recover. It always has through all these really horrific events because you're not buying on one individual, you're not betting on one individual company that isn't able to survive Corona, for example, because of a factors beyond their control, right? Instead, you're buying thousands of companies, and on average, they will survive. And yeah, so that hopefully that's some, you know, those are the key things that come to my mind as to why I'm so into ETFs, index ETFs particularly. For those keeping score at home, we understand that Cornell doesn't want to uh, fix a radiator and he doesn't want to research uh, the, the reports for, from these companies. He, he wants the passive income. But you also have built up seven years of uh, security where you don't need to work. That's another part of your lifestyle. Can you explain to us about this seven year uh, stockpile that you have and, and explain to us how you built that up. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, the one, once we, once we hit the, you know, our, our financial independence number, I took, like I said, I took a portion of the money. And once we were hitting all these all time highs, I basically took a portion of that and said, well, let's keep this in a safe bucket so that we can write things out. And so typically from all the research I've done and from all the experts that I've interviewed, the typical number that I hear is five years where Typically, when we have these things like COVID, for example, and other you know really bad events, the markets do have historically recovered within a five-year time frame, usually way quicker than that, right? And so that's so you actually I have seven, but five years is really like one could argue that seven years is too conservative. That I'm actually leaving money on the table. I should go down to five years and then take that difference and actually invest it in equities. And so you know that's something that I that you know that I contemplate. Um, but that's that's the whole kind of reasoning behind having this, you know, this cushion. Now, I, I will say that it's not like I have, I take my annual expenses, multiply it by seven or, or five, and that's the number of, ca you know, of what I have in a high interest savings account. That's not how I do it. That's not how I would recommend doing it because you are going to have cash flows coming in through other sources. For example, you are going to have dividend payments from those ETFs that you purchased. You're going to have interest payments from the high interest savings account. Maybe you receive government benefits as well, for example, right? And so, so there's projections involved. So exactly, right? So so the whole, so when I when we say the seven-year cushion so to speak, it's basically saying we're looking at strictly a cash flow now, right? So what what cash flows am I going to have coming in every single year? 
And how much cash flow am I going to spend every single year? And is there a shortfall? Like, am I short, let's say 10 K like in my case, it, it ended up being 10 K. And so I said, okay, so if I have 70 K in, let's say that high interest savings account, fixed income that now lets me last seven years. And then if I have a side hustle, which I do, which cause I basically the podcast, if I have that, and that's bringing in some money as well, then that actually lets me prolong that even further past seven years, right? Um, and so the seven years is assuming I make no money off the podcast and no money off the Canadian Financial Summit that I run now. Um, but you know that those are different levers that I can pull if needed. Does that answer the question? Yes, Okay. absolutely. Uh, as far as, look, if you put yourself in the position of some of our listeners who maybe are not uh, ready to be retired at 32 or 33 and not financially free at 33. Um, like let's say right now today you start starting at go. Like if you were, you know, you have bills, you're, you're, you're dealing with the struggles, but, but with your mentality and all that you've learned, if you were to, in, to use what you've learned from today to how long, basically I'm asking, how long would it take? Do you think to, get financially free. You know what I'm saying? Like how, for someone starting with like to, taking these lessons or listening to what you did, how long do you think it would take? And I know it's, you know, it's kind of a loose question. There's no way to know with all the factors, but like, like, is it, how difficult is it to start late and, and, you know, make up these, these lost years? Sure. You can definitely do it. And it, the, there's certain variables that make a really, really large impact on what that number is, like whether it's do you need 10 years or can you do it in 15 years or 20 years or 30 years, right? So there isn't like, a, oh, well, typically it's going to take someone 10 years to do or 15 years to do. It it really, really depends. And so, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what some of these factors are. One is, are you willing to generate any sort of income when you're retired, right? Like, is there a certain, let's say, passion project that you like to do, whether it's a podcast or I don't know, maybe you're a painter and you're gonna paint because you love painting, but then eventually your house gets filled up with paintings. So are you willing to sell some of those paintings and generate a bit of an income, right? Like when you ask yourself those questions, that makes a huge impact because that, you know, can sustain you much longer and you need a lot less money from your investments if you're able to bring in at least a little bit of income, even if it's only like 25% of what you used to bring in or 10% of what you used to bring in, you know, that can really sway the numbers like in terms of years that you can cut off your retirement if you admit that, okay, I'm willing to work, you know, a little bit, right? And then the other like, you know, really big factor of obviously is spending, right? How much are you willing to spend a year? Um, like for us, we I use forty thousand now as our as our number. Like I don't want to cross that. Um, before we used to use thirty thousand, but now you know we've got two kids and and all that. And so I'm like, okay, let's do let's do forty thousand, right? If you're, but I have a friend, for instance, who says I want a hundred thousand dollars to spend in retirement. That's what I want. I don't want any less than that, right? And okay, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But realize that you're not going to be able to pull this off in 10 years. You know what I mean? You're going to like unless you, I don't know, are the next, create the next Google or, or you know, or right. some startup or whatever, right? And so it really depends on that, right? Is are you okay spend like I'm okay going down to 30k a year if we needed to, right? Um, if you're saying, oh heck no, like 100k minimum, or else I don't even want to like look at this thing. Well, that's fine. But it's not you're not going to be able to do it as quickly as I am because you need like multiples of what I of what I need. You know what I mean? Um, so I would say that's that's the other really, really big thing. Gotcha. Yeah. 
Do you do you pay yourself every week to meet this forty thousand dollar spending budget that you have? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so I mean, we when the dividends come in, so they come in once a quarter. I basically transfer that money into our regular spending account, and and we spend that. There's money that comes in, let's say from the podcast, like if we have a sponsorship or something like that. So if that you know if that comes in, then so they come in once a quarter. I basically just move them from our brokerage to our bank and we spend that money. And then of course, and then if the markets are go, doing well, like they were before COVID hit, then we once a year, I'll also take some of the capital gains that were there. So I'm not touching the principal yet. I will when I'm older, but right now it's like, I'm really, I'm still young when right? I'm 35. So I want to preserve the principal. And so I just take some of those gains and I move that over to, depending on how well the markets did to our account as well, uh, just basically for spending money. And then on top of that, we've got that cash cushion that we talked about in a high interest savings account. And so that's where the bills get paid from, essentially. And you've paid off your mortgage, so you have no mortgage payment, right? So that's right. Utilities you're paying. Wait, well, yeah. Well, yeah. Unfortunately, there's I wish that was it. But there's property tax hurts a lot. And then, yeah, you know, like utilities. All right. Well, <laughs> you made it sound like that... utilities. That's it. Uh, 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 I forgot uh, uh, about your $100 a month property tax or $200 a month. Wow, wow, wow. Well, so the rest of the world feels sorry for you. What's well, we, so, so the rest of the world feels sorry that you have to pay two hundred dollars a month in property taxes. Well, while Sean makes Cornell feel bad for his property tax, let's take a quick break. Come on, guys, who's not bitter about property tax? Exactly. Come Nobody on, come that. on. Let's be honest. Who, who's like, oh, this is? I'm, I'm glad I'm, I spend these thousands of dollars every year on property. Come on. <laughs> we'll be right back with a little more two black guys with good credit with freedom at thirty-two. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Two Black Guys with Big Credit. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So for the financially curious and the financially knowledgeable, today we are discussing freedom at 32, retirement early. We have a guest, Cornell Schreiber, representing Kitchener, Canada, and he's been Woo! breaking it down. Woo! So Cornell, tell us about this convention you have going on. Sure. So it's a fully online uh 
summit essentially. And so you, people listen to this, listen to podcasts. I have a podcast too, you know, and so these episodes get published periodically, but with this Canadian financial summit, I basically gather all these different experts across Canada, you know, some in the U S and we talk about the different best practices when it comes to investing and, and personal finance. Um, so it's kind of like a condensed podcast instead of one episode a month or one a week, you're getting all these best experts all at once. Uh, and then I can, I give all the tickets for free as well. So anybody can attend. So you're having a black guy with good credit on your panel? Sure, we could we could have you guys on if you'd like. We could think of something. Okay, okay. Yeah. I'm gonna hold you to it. I'm gonna yeah. hold you to it. It's, it's Canada. It. We practice <laughs> diversity, so you better make sure you have a black guy with good credit <laughs> on, on your panel. Um, but yeah, I mean, if anybody wants free uh, free tickets to, it's gonna be in the fall, uh, this coming fall. Um, you can just go to my podcast site, which is buildwealthcanada.ca, and then you just sign up there on the, for the newsletter. And then as soon as I know exactly when I'm going to be launching it uh, this fall, I'll basically send you the free tickets and the links and all that kind of stuff. So anybody can, you, know, you can basically go and get, you know, it's a lot of basically free financial literacy that you can get from all the different experts. And it's not Corona dependent. Corona, <laughs> no that's corona. right. It's that's happening, right? right? Yeah, it's happening. It's, all, it's, it's 100% you've, digital. Yeah. You've hedged, you've hedged yourself well, my friend. You <laughs> Keeps the overhead low too, right? Not having to rent out, a, rent out a convention center or something like that. But yeah, so I mean, everybody's invited. It, like I said, it is the Canadian financial summit, but a lot of the things you would learn there are transferable to the US. Like we're talking about ETFs and indexes. I mean, we've talked more about the US index on this conversation today more than the Canadian one even, right? So there is definitely a lot of transferable things. So I'm sure, and it's free, right? So I think anybody can get a lot out of it. Awesome. Well, yeah. Cornell, we talked a lot about early retirement in today's episode with you. And with everything you've done, you know, other than paying off your mortgage early, is there anything else that you would have done different you mentioned that that's something you would have done differently is there any other lesson you learned that you might have done differently in retrospect regarding this path to early retirement yeah yeah there has been there's been kind of a some revelations or so to speak when um so initially right when when i set this goal i wanted to retire early the whole goal was to never have to work again so that whole you know image of on the beach pina colada you know that whole like hey. the whole cliche kind of thing right um and what i've learned is that that's fun for a period of time so i I did try the full full retirement uh, where all I was doing is like a podcast episode once a month and that's it. Uh, mm -hmm. like I, I didn't do the the summit, the, you know, nothing, right? It just total full retirement. And eventually you start you start yearning for more. It's not very fulfilling to just live a life of leisure all the time. So that's why now I took over the Canadian Financial Summit like we just talked about and I've been working on the podcast more as well. Uh, and so that's kind of a big a big lesson, right? Because passion projects. Yeah, like you, you really do need something or else you're just going to waste away because you, there are other like the money is one thing and it's an important thing. But once you have that, you still want a sense of community. You still want some creative expression. You still want something that's intellectually stimulating. Like these are certain, you know, higher level needs, right? Like once all your basic needs are met, you start to yearn for these extra things. And so one thing that I would advise people is if you're doing the whole fire thing where you want to, you know, retire early, well, that's great. But don't assume that you're going to be, don't make the same mistake I did and that many other early retirees that I've talked to have made where they just think they're never going to work again because you are going to uh, right. because you need it as, as a human. It's just like the human condition. And so instead, try to figure out what you like to do, what you're passionate about. And then, yeah, you can find ways to monetize it and you make some money off it, which makes your retirement more stable anyway. But money is no longer the main priority, right? It's like maybe fourth or fifth or tenth down the list. But your the priority is, you know, to, to fulfill these other needs that you have. And by admitting that, you can actually retire way earlier because like I said before, if you actually have some money coming in from like a little side project, 
project that totally changes your numbers and lets you retire way earlier. So um, that was a, it's a very, very common mistake that I see others make and I've made it myself too. Well, retiring at 33 or 32 is one thing, but now is there a second retirement in your horizon? No, not at all. So, I mean, when I tried the, the full retirement, I lasted about five, six months before starting to feel unfulfilled essentially. And so what I've learned is that you do need something else. Uh, you know, you can't just live a full life of leisure. We're just not wired like that, or at least I'm not. And, and I would bet that people who are wired to be able to retire, people that are willing to work so hard to retire early, they're not going to all of a sudden just Oh, now I'm going to relax for the rest of my life. Like you're not, you know what I mean? If you're, if you're a worker and you've got the work ethic and all that, right. you're probably not just going to hang up your boots for the rest of your life. So you even know, like Cornell at 70, Cornell at 65, you're like Cornell, like you're, you're just going to, you plan on just rocking out, just working until whenever. You're, yeah, no yeah, exactly. So I think it's, it's more about self-discovery and figuring out what you love to do, what makes you happy and fulfilled and something that helps others at the same time. Right. So trying to find that, you know, that, that Venn diagram, trying to find that sweet spot in the middle, right. Where it makes you happy, fulfilled, that it actually has some positive contribution to society and then just doing that um so that i would say that's what i'm pretty much going to do until my health is so bad that i have to you know like be in a bed you know until i die kind of thing right but right. Uh, yeah but i mean because because it's, it's mental health right like you gotta cover that mental health component um and you do that by having these passion projects and things like that awesome all right so Cornell, we appreciate all of the wisdom and things to think about. Uh, yes, you've modeled, thank you. Yeah, you've modeled a, a great path to early, well, not just retirement, but it, you know, just early financial freedom. So we appreciate that. No problem. Thanks for having me on, guys. I hope it was uh, fun for you too. Oh, it was well, a blast. Dion, do you want to give the the viewers uh, some uh, final instructions here? Well, the first list? Of all, I mean, how how can they find you, uh, Cornell? If sure. you want more. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the best place is my, uh, the podcast site that I have. So buildwealthcanada.ca. If you can just, if you go there, you can basically sign up for the newsletter. Uh, I have different guides, like what tools I use to manage my money and investments that, you know, people might find helpful too. Pretty much like 98% of the things on the site are free. So it's a pretty big educational resource at this point. Fantastic. Well, thank you for that. And if you have more questions uh, about this, uh, from this episode, because I know there was a lot, a lot to take in from Mr. Schreiber. Please email us your questions to tbgwgc at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Two Black Guys Good Credit. And don't forget to leave us a five star review to make it easier for others to find us. Like Ensom Storm, who said, This is the first podcast I listen to regularly. And I must say, it gets my mind right before work and puts everything into perspective also encourages me to continue engaging in the gig culture while still striving in the corporate world the caribbean accents are a plus well thank you thank you and some storm i'm glad you joined the show you made our day uh, my name is dion nichols the lady with the history the stats and the cold hard facts and i'm out and i'm matt smith the better part of two black guys with good credit and i'm out and i'm sean the other half of two black guys with good credit. And I just want, I, the reason why I brought Cornell on this show, I just wanted people to see that there's there's many paths to success and financial freedom. Choose the one that's right for you, as Cornell said, and as I believe in well, follow your dreams, follow your passion and, and, and budget and invest and good things will happen. Once again, I'm Sean from two black guys with good credit and I'm out. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation... 
Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.